Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Grass withers, and the flower fades. Word of our God stands forever. So our text from this morning is just Jesus is continuing on in what we have called the Sermon on the Plain, one of the, one of the moments of Jesus, a recording of Jesus giving a sermon to his disciples. He has just called the 12 disciples specifically, and then with this larger group of followers or disciples, he begins this Sermon on the Plain, this sermon where we have just come away with the beginning uh, of the Beatitudes, of pronouncement of blessing and a pronouncement of woes upon uh, his hearers. Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. We talked about that last week. But then he goes on from these Beatitudes to really one of the, the main themes of Christianity, the theme of love. Love. Love your enemies. This section... I mean, as I read over it this week and thought on it, it it honestly just stands on its own with a great amount of weight. If you just take this passage and just read it, you don't need me to do a whole lot of explaining to really get the power of this sort of ethic. Loving your enemies, doing good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you. It, It has just a lot of power on its own. It stands on its own. Now, of course, I will say something more on it, but, but there is, a, there's just a lot of, there's such beauty to what he's saying. The, the ethical standard here is so lofty, is so high, that it, it's staggering that Jesus t- goes counterintuitive to everything we know about our natural inclinations to how to respond to those around us. This, this, this sweeping high view of, of how to live and what it means to love your neighbor. We, when we think about love, I mean, the reality is loving well is hard. Loving people is hard. And, and loving well those who are around you, it is hard work. When it comes to loving someone as they deserve to be loved, 
we often find that love being at direct odds with our own thoughts, our own feelings, our own desires, right? You know that you should love this person by doing whatever, um, by serving them. So you get home from work and there's, a, there's sinks in the dish, or in the, in the sinks in the dish. There's dishes in the sink. Shows how often I stand at the sink, I guess. I think the sink is in, there's dishes in the sink, you know, and you think, Love is serving, and if I would love this person well, I would, I would do these dishes while I'm here, or, you know, whatever, some simple, that's pretty elementary, but you know what I'm saying? That conflicts with my own self-interest, which is, I don't want to stand at the sink and do dishes, and there's this conflicting realities, right, of loving someone well does mean that there'll be lots of moments where it conflicts with the things that you want to do. We're very self-centered people, honestly. I mean, if we can be honest, we're very self-centered people. And therefore, loving well is hard. Loving well requires us to be other-centered above our natural self-concern. But here's the shocking part of this passage. As hard as it is to love well, when we're talking about loving well those that are around us, we're meaning loving well those we want to love well. Think how hard it is to love well those you want to love well. And we could all spend and talk a lot of time about how hard it is to love well your, your spouse, your friends, your children, those who are around you. You want to love them well. And isn't that hard? And Jesus, the shock of this passage is He isn't saying love those people well. He's saying love your enemies. As hard as it is to love well those that you should love, Jesus is calling us to love well those we have no desire to love well. I mean, if we're honest. Loving well, the shock of the passage, it's very hard to love well, and that's when we're talking about those we want to love well. This section calls for radical love, not for those who are our obvious loved ones, but radically for those who are best known as our enemies, those who persecute us, those who hate us, those who want to curse us. Jesus calls for Amazingly, our love for them, not just those that we love. So if we struggle to love well those that we're naturally inclined to love, if we struggle at loving them well, what hope is there that we're going to love our enemies well? I mean, honestly, if, if, you, if, we're, if we struggle as fallen people to love well those that we naturally want to love well, maybe, is there, what hope is there? that we can listen to Jesus and loving those that we're naturally inclined to not really want to love very well. Well, we're going to sit on that for a little bit. We're hopefully going to get there. But just out of these 10 verses here, there are 12 imperatives, 12 commands that Jesus comes to us in these 10 verses. There are, there are a dozen imperatives in only 10 verses. And I just want to walk through them just quickly, um, all 12 of them. Jesus says to love your enemies. And there's um, not just those you dislike. He's not saying, you know, people you don't really care about. Enemies is a very specific category, is it not? It's not just the innocent bystander on the street that you don't really have any involvement with, just another citizen. He's saying love your enemies, not just those who are around you that you might dislike or not even really care about, but know your, your enemies, those who do not like you, those who do not love you, he calls for you to love your enemies. He calls you to do good to those who hate you. 
Is there anything less natural than this? You hate me. What are we going to do back? I don't really like you back. Is that not? I mean, I don't think this is nothing revolutionary here. It's, I mean, it's part of the whole the shock of the passage. I don't think it, I mean, if, if you've never thought that, I'm sorry that I introduced that into your mind. But often our reaction is that when someone is mean to us, I kind of want to be mean right back. You want to dislike me? You want to say something about me? I want to return the favor. And is there, there's nothing less natural than to when someone hates you, you do good for them. We naturally respond to hate with hate and hateful action. He calls for us to bless those who curse you. Bless those who curse you. When you hear someone say something hateful behind your back, you know, you get word around, someone comes up to you and they say, well, you know, so-and-so said this about you. Is not your natural reaction. Well, let me tell you, what, let me tell you something about them. If they're going to talk about me, I'll return the favor. Our natural sinful inclination is to return the favor. You want to you dish it out? Let's see what you can take. Is that not our saying? Who can dish it out but not take it? Well, you want to dish it out? You, you really send a little back your way. Jesus calls for us, though, to bless those who curse you. And not just a little, oh, bless their soul. We'll get there. Honestly, honest to goodness, blessing those who curse you. What is your natural response? Is that where you gravitate towards? Think about it. I don't, I, it's not our natural inclination. Pray for those who abuse you. And this isn't the psalm sort of prayer, uh, you know, we're praying fire down upon people because they have abused us. Not that kind of praying for people. But honestly, someone abuses you. Someone is mean to you. Someone is hurtful to you. And you go to God in prayer saying, God, have mercy on them. God, help them. God, forgive them. Do not, please God, do not hold this sin against them. Help them to see their need for a Savior. Praying for those. It's tough to be mad at someone when you go to prayer for them. It's very difficult to take someone that has cursed you to go to pray for them and not have that change your heart. Pray for those who abuse you. When you are struck, to offer them the other cheek. Now, this is a reference likely to being insulted. That's what this, this slap is. This, this isn't necessarily saying if someone is physically abusing you, you should just keep showing up and asking for more physical abuse. Or that if someone's attacking you physically, you shouldn't leave the room or get out of the house. You absolutely should. So don't, let's not construe, misconstrue Jesus' words here. This is not about some sort of physical abuse, but it is this idea that if someone is insulting you, giving you a backhanded slap, saying something insulting about you, and which, is, which is honestly what's going to happen if you begin to try to love this way. You begin to try to love your enemies, do good to them who hate you, bless them and not curse you. You're reaching out to those that don't like you. You're probably going to start getting insults. And Jesus' call is that when those insults come, not to insult back, but to keep going in, keep reaching out, keep loving when your cloak is taken, offer your tunic. When people ask, when they beg, you give. We're not saying, we're not asking, this person's begging me for something, what can they do for me? And so I, I'll give, but at some point I kind of want something back. Let's have a little give and take. And geez, that's kind of, again, our natural reaction. Even if it's just loyalty. Okay, I'm going to help you out, but that kind of means I want your loyalty for the rest of my life or whatever. That it's a little give and take. And Jesus is saying, no. If someone's begging, you give and you expect nothing in return. When goods are taken, do not demand them back. And then, of course, we have the golden rule. As you wish that others would do unto you, 
do so to them. What if they've already messed that up? What if they've already hurt me? <laughs> they've, already hurt, they've already started the relationship. They've hurt me. The golden rule still applies. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Leon Morris says this in his commentary. He says, there are several words for love in Greek. Jesus was not asking for storage, or nat- natural, which is natural affection, nor for eros, which is romantic love, nor for philia, which is the love of friendship. He was speaking of agape. You've probably heard of this term. You've been in church much. Agape love. He was speaking of agape, which means love even of the unworthy. Love which is not drawn out by merit in the beloved, but which proceeds from the fact that the lover chooses to be a loving person. When, when Jesus is speaking of love, he's not talking about a love that is somehow drawn out by the loveliness of the one who's receiving the love, but it is a love that is from the one who is choosing to love the one that is unworthy. This is the kind of radical love Jesus is calling for. It is not, oh, I see you have value, or I see this is whatever redeeming quality in you, or I can get back from this, and so I love you for what it's going to give back to me. Agape is Regardless of what this produces, I choose to set my love and my affection on you. This is the kind of love Jesus is talking about. So our question was, if we have trouble loving those who are naturally inclined to love like this, how, what hope is there? How in the world can this be done for those we hate? There's two wrong approaches to this sermon content that we get from Jesus in many places. There's two there's probably more, not, not just two. There's two clearly wrong ways to think of these sermons and, and this section here on love from Jesus. And the first wrong approach is to see these, these guidelines here as that. They're kind of general guidelines. They're suggestions. So Jesus comes to us and he says, you know what? Here's a really good idea why don't you try this? You know, let's, let's try to love our neighbor. Let's um, try to be good people. Let's just make your best effort. Like as though Jesus is the great su- suggestioner, which is not a word. He's the great suggester. Here's an idea. Why don't you try to be nice? And, you know, no big deal, but give it a shot. That's, that's a really wrong way to read Jesus' commands to love. These are exactly what I just said. These are commands. So when Jesus says, love your enemy and bless those who persecute you, he's not giving you a suggestion. He's telling you, no, this is what it means to love me. This is what it means to follow me. This is what it means to live righteously. Do it. Bless those who persecute you. Someone asks for your tunic, you give them your cloak. When someone insults you, slaps you, you don't retaliate, you give them the other cheek. It's not... Give this a shot. See how it works. If you like this part, you don't like this part, take and leave what you want. That's not how we read Jesus. It's an insult to Jesus to read him that way. These are commands. This is the law coming down. And when we see that, when we see that, you think the Ten Commandments are hard. <laughs> the idea that the Ten Commandments was the strict God, and then Jesus shows up and it's just, oh, everything's okay. It's just love and butterflies. It's like the Ten Commandments are hard, and then Jesus comes up and he's like, you know what? Here's the law, folks. Not only only don't murder, don't even hate your brother, because hatred is murder. Not only don't commit adultery, but don't even look at someone with a lustful intent. That's the same as adultery. Jesus comes along and he lays down the law. And the law, when read rightly, is crushing. 
You read this and it's like, I'm in trouble. I mean, honestly, bless those. I mean, you know, you look, look over the history of your life and have you for a day, have you for a week, have you for a minute, perfectly loved in this way. This is what makes the sermons of Jesus so terrifying when you really read them for what they are. If you think the Ten Commandments are hard, look at the sermons of Jesus. They, when they are taken seriously, they are absolutely crushing. So we're not just dismissing this as suggestion. This is what Jesus is saying we should do, and it crushes us. The second wrong approach, though, is this, is to look at this section uh, like this and then elevate and overestimate your own ability to think that you can actually fulfill these commands. And, and honestly, I, I hope that we read sections like this, that we hear a section like this, and we are convicted to go out and, I want to do this. I want to bless those who persecute me. I want to love well those who are my enemies, because Jesus has said to, I want to take them seriously. And, and I hope there's conviction, but you're going to get out there, and you're not going to be able to do it. Don't, don't get so high-minded like a Pharisee who's saying, because here's what can happen. You say, well, Jesus says, bless those who curse me. So my friend came, and they told me this bad news. Somebody's talking smack about me, and I said, oh, bless their heart. I fulfilled the law, right? I, I obeyed Jesus' sermon. He said, bless those who curse me. I was cursed, and I said, oh, bless them. And inside of my heart, I was really giving them the riot act, right? I mean, I was really laying it on them. I mean, I wasn't saying it, but, you know, the law isn't, this isn't the way Jesus is talking. It's not, oh, I kept this on the outside, externally, as though you kept it perfectly. I blessed instead of cursing. Or when it comes to lending, someone comes and they lend you something, and maybe even in the moment, maybe even in the moment, you mean it. You're like, you know what? This is yours. You, you're, you're, in a, you're in a bind. You have a need. Here you go. It's yours. No strings attached. No problem. And then, you know, maybe this has happened to you a couple years go by, maybe even. And that person does something mean to you. And in that moment, you think, what right, after all I've done for them, do they... And you know what you just did there? You just broke the law. You, you just, after years, after all this giving, have all of a sudden decided, I gave and I expected something in return. Well, you know what Jesus says? Give and expect nothing in return. So... We don't want to pretend like these aren't really hard rules. We also don't want to pretend like we can go out and somehow do it. You're going to fail at this. So what is the point of reading this? A proper response is to hear Jesus' call and have it both lift us up in our efforts to keep his commands and to crush us in our self-dependence to be and do all that God requires. So again, what hope is there? If we have trouble loving those we're inclined to love, what hope is there? If we want to live up to the standard, we are crushed. We go out there, we try, and we end up failing over and over again. What can we do? Here's the big idea. Are you listening? Everybody's still with me and following? Here's the big idea. Radical love for others flows from seeing radical love coming from God to his enemies, namely us. Radical love for others comes from seeing or flows from seeing the radical love of God coming towards his enemies, namely us. Radical love for enemies, for our enemies, for others, flows when we see the radical reality of a gracious, loving God loving his enemies, who is, guess what? Us. 
Look back at this list of commands. And I, when we look through these, I want you to see them with a different spin. Instead of looking at commands for you, look at them as descriptions of Jesus. Can you see this with me? Look at these as though uh, what they're saying about Jesus. Love your enemies. Jesus, we were his enemies by nature and by choice. And Jesus shows up and he loves his enemies. Do good to those who hate you. He was hated. And what did he do? He goes to the cross. He fulfills the law. He did good to us, though we acted in hatred towards him, refusing him as God. We cursed him. We didn't bless him. We cursed him. We dishonored him. And what did he do? He blessed. He blessed those who cursed him. We hurled abuse at him. And what does he do? He prays for us. As he's getting slaughtered with abuse on the cross, what does he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus blesses those who curse him. He prays for those who abuse him. He is definitely struck on the cheek, insulted in many ways, but also literally struck on the cheek, and yet he does not retaliate. He's reduced to nothing, and yet he does not withhold himself. We are the beggars. We are the one begging. And what does Jesus do? He freely gives even himself. Jesus does good to us when the When he's saying here, do good, Jesus does good to us in spite of all the wrong that we have done to him. Jesus truly loves his enemies. How does he do so? He dies for their sins on the cross. So that the wrath that they deserve, his enemies, which is all of us, the wrath that his enemies deserve will be taken away through repentance and faith. He does eternal good for those who are his enemies. He gives expecting nothing in return. And you know why he expects nothing in return? There ain't nothing you can give God. He's got it all. He freely gives. God gives. This love is a love driven. When we talk about agape love, this love, the love of God, the love of Christ for his people, is a love driven not by what is lovely, lovely, loving, or lovable in us, This love is driven by love for in spite of and regardless of the merit or deservedness of the one being loved. We read a passage like this on love. So often in Christianity, we put our must-dos out in front when what needs to be out in front is the already done of Christ. We put our must-dos. We read this and we say, and, and I, listen, hear me say, This, yes, this is our code. This is how we are to live. But so often what we do in Christianity is we put our must-dos out front when what needs to be out front is the already done of Christ. How in the world are we going to radically love like this? Radical love for enemies, for others, flows from seeing the radical love of God for his enemies, which is us. The radical love, how you can walk this out. Power, When we, the question was, How, when we struggle with loving those we're inclined to love, how in the world are we going to love those we're not inclined to love? In the same, by seeing that we, the undeserving, not deserving of God's love, He pours it out onto us by His choice of I set my affections on these people. I send my son to live the righteous life they should have lived, to die the death that they deserve, so that through repentance and faith they could be reconciled, forgiven of their sin, adopted into my family, become my very own children, not because they've earned it, but because I love them. Romans 5 
tells us just clearly um, that while we were enemies, Christ died for us. Romans 5, read a few verses here, just brings this all together. Romans 5, verses 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Not those who deserved it. He died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the, from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received our reconciliation. When we think about the call and the command to love others, even our enemies, to bless them, to pray for them, to do good for them, the only sufficient motor for that kind of radical action and that kind of radical love is the sight that sees the same love, that very same love coming to us through the grace and mercy of our Savior Jesus Christ. Radical love for others, for our enemies flows from seeing radical love coming from God to his enemies, namely ourselves. God loves you. And I I say that not as though some sort of reciprocated, God chooses to set his affection not on those who deserve it, but even on those who don't, to bring them to himself to rescue them. He loves you with an undeserved love. And I know that in our culture, in our society, we think that not to be loved because of our value or because of our looks or our contribution is demeaning. It's not. It's not. They're wrong. There is no greater love than the love love that says, even though you have nothing to give me, I love you anyway. I'll pay any cost. I'll suffer the loss but I love you and I will make you mine. Not because of any other reason other than I choose to set my affection on you. This is God's love for us seen so clearly in the giving of his son, Jesus Christ. Look at it today. See, maybe for the first time ever or for the hundredth and thousandth of time over and over again with fresh eyes. See the love of God for his people in the giving of his son. See it and rejoice in it and stake your hope there. His love for you will not change, fade, or fall short. It cannot. And then in seeing his radical love for you, we have the motor to then, by rejoicing in his love for us, walk out of this place and love our enemies as we, the enemies of God, were loved by him. Let's pray. Father, give us just eyes to see this. This is such... (laughs) Good news when I think about all of my own rebellion and walking away and doubts and and breaking of your good, righteous law. You didn't sit in heaven and wait for me to get to some sort of standard. You knew I was lost. And you set your love. You said, I will do something about this. I will purpose to rescue 
you. That, God, this is not about us earning your love. This is about your love that has been freely given to us through the work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. God, may it well up in us in such joy that we cannot help but walk out of these doors and deal with our neighbors, deal with our loved ones, and deal with our enemies and say, if I was loved this greatly, if I was loved this greatly, this undeservedly, how can I not love my enemy? How can I not bless those who curse me? God, give us eyes to see. In Jesus' name, amen.